Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Hey, Tyler, it's Capitol Hill Ocean Week in our nation's capital, a big event uh, for ocean and coastal professionals and advocates around the world, actually. It is, and it's something that I have to say, Peter, I have been noticing for the past, you know, several years... The buzz around Capitol Hill really? Ocean Week every year seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, here we are. It's a big deal on the American shoreline and in the kind of global ocean community. Yeah. Capitol Hill Ocean Week. And it's, in fact, World Ocean Month. There's a lot c- happening here. Yeah. And uh, I this year I was like, you know what? We got to try to learn about what the hell's going on here. Mm-hmm. It's a, obviously a big deal. So here we go. We got a great show today. We're going to be exploring Capitol Hill Ocean Week with someone who really knows what's up. We are. We have a great guest today to talk to us uh, about Capitol Hill Ocean Week and much, much more, including uh, National Marine Sanctuary Foundation. Joining us on the American Shoreline podcast is Chris Siri. Chris is the president and the CEO of the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation and a uh, active participant organizer in the Capitol Hill Ocean Week uh, programming coming up this week. So we're really excited to talk to her, Tyler. Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be exploring this live event that's happening this week in capital, in the nation's capital. Yeah. Uh, and man, I'm really looking forward to it. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com advertising to learn more. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to our listeners around the world uh, about uh, your work at the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation and the Capitol Hill Ocean Week this uh, coming up, this, this, this going on this week. Thanks, Peter and Tyler. It's really a pleasure to talk to you today. Well, uh, Chris, what we like to do is start a little bit and learn a little bit about our guest. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, but we should get to know you. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be uh, leading the National Marine Sanctuaries Foundation? Uh, well, as I think always some people say, a lot of it has, happens to be luck. Um, but I have a background in uh, environmental protection and community health. Um, and my background uh, is in that because I strongly believe that uh, people will take care of our environment um, and want to be good stewards of environment and and then the environment will also provide for us too. So I see a strong linkage always between the health of our environment and the health of people. 
overall. And I bring those two together. And the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation was just a really ideal place for me. Um, I know we'll talk a little bit more about this, but uh, sanctuaries are very community-based areas. Um, there's very treasured and special places to communities. And communities are very much engaged in terms of their conservation and protection. And so it was just a perfect fit for, for me getting to work on ocean and Great Lakes conservation um, and also tie it to community development. The National Marine Sanctuary Foundation is a, is a private uh, nonprofit organization that works to support the national marine sanctuaries around the country. Uh, introduce our audience, uh, if you would, a little bit to what the National Marine Sanctuaries are uh, and why it's important that these uh, sanctuaries are supported. I would love to. Thank you so much for that question. So a lot of Americans don't know that we have these fantastic places called National Marine Sanctuaries, and they come all the way from the Central Pacific, American Samoa and Hawaii, to the North Atlantic, which is Stellwagen Bank, from the, the Great Lakes, um, which is Thunder Bay, all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. And they're places just like our national parks. They protect um, tremendous species, beautiful seascapes. Um, they help safeguard our maritime uh, history. Um, so they're these amazing places that are held in trust for the American people by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And they're just, they're incredibly important. The, the, I'm going to start by saying another thing, um, one of the things you mentioned was just how important our oceans are to our coastal communities. I think we're going to know we arrived when um, our inland communities recognize the great importance of the oceans, even if they're not seeing them every single day. Our oceans are responsible for 50% of the air we breathe. Um, they contain tremendous biodiversity that um, provides uh, food, um, helps with uh, climate regulation, um, it helps with climate mitigation, uh, it helps provide medicines. Um, and so the health of us as, a, as, as humanity relies on the health of our planet. And National Marine Sanctuaries are these great places that are both protecting biodiversity, but they're living laboratories for scientists to go out and understand our oceans and what's taking place. They're outdoor classrooms for students um, to learn about stewardship and caregiving and the importance of our oceans. So they're places where we can really go to and connect with nature and understand its importance to our communities and to people. Um, and be able to be stewards and safeguards of these very important areas. You know, Peter, I just have to say, you know, uh, Chris compared the National Marine Sanctuary, uh, these spaces to national parks. Yeah. And we actually shared, I mean, as she said that, what immediately flashed in my mind is as we were transiting uh, the channel, the Santa Barbara Channel between Ventura Harbor to the Channel Islands, and actually we were, we were returning back to the mainland, which was actually a very inspirational trip for us. Great trip. But we encountered a megapod. We were in the uh, Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary, and we encountered a megapod of dolphins. I mean... I think thousands. Thousands of individuals. You could... Oh, it was... It was... It's like a national park experience, ladies and gentlemen. What I'm saying is it's like the bison or watching Old Faithful go. I mean, it's burned into your... 
sense of our country, your, our, your, the people you're with, Peter, it was extremely yeah. uh, resonant and inspirational for us doing this podcast right now. I mean, uh, so uh, truly these places are uh, fantastic. And um, my understanding, Chris, is that uh, there's a lot, there's a big future for National Marine Sanctuaries. One of the things that immediately came to mind is this 30 by 30 project, which is to create marine protected areas. I imagine some of those might be National Marine Sanctuaries. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the state of play in the sanctuary uh, situation? Are we creating more of these things? I would love to talk about that. So if you it just, I'm going to go back to my national park comparison. If you think about our national parks, we have this incredibly well-connected systems of land um, to help species um, be able to migrate uh, to that people go to and just love and enjoy. It's a huge sense of pride, I think, for our country. Um, and I think it's also a huge, you know, economic ge generator by the, the number of people that want to come and see our national parks. We unfortunately don't have that same connected national system in our oceans and Great Lakes. And this is some of the areas where biodiversity really does need to be um, conserved. And so one of the things we're really pushing for as part of the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation is a long-term vision of creating that integrated, connected system of protected areas uh, for our oceans as well. And 30 by 30 or America the Beautiful, um, which is a, uh, the US version of creating 30% of uh, protected areas in our oceans and um, Great Lakes by 2030, is an extraordinarily um, opportunity to really expand our national marine sanctuaries, our marine national monuments, our national parks, our refuges, um, all of these great tools that we have in the US for conservation to really expand, um, to do a few different things um, to protect biodiversity, to make sure we have equitable access to nature. A number of communities cannot get to national marine sanctuaries or parks or refuges. And so making sure that they are accessible um, to, to a variety of communities is really key. And then these protected areas offer a great amount of uh, ways to both address climate resiliency and also climate mitigation um, as well. Mm -hmm. And if it's okay, I'm going to toss out a few statistics to let you know just about how important it is for us to really expand our kind of footprint of protection. So, so right now, um, we have about 26% of U.S. waters uh, protected in some form of um, marine protected area. But once you move outside of the south, um, sorry, the central Pacific, um, that number around the the continental U.S. drops down to about 1.9 percent. Mm, wow! So when we just talk about these large statistics, you, you can kind of miss some of the nuances. And that 1.9 percent is distributed very differently along the coastline. And of that 26 percent in total that's protected, only 3 percent are in what's known as marines reserve. So kind of highly and fully protected uh, uh, type of areas. Um, so if we go back to this, this really critical point that the health of our oceans and our health of our Great Lakes is really critical to our own health and to our economic prosperity. You recognize that we have a long ways that we still need to go to try to do quite a bit more protection. And the National Marine Sanctuary program and the system offers a really great way to both protect these resources and also make sure that people can enjoy them too, because 
we know that if we can connect people to the ocean and to the to the the beauty that it contains that they do actually want to become stewards of it if we can make them understand the importance of that ocean to them to their communities to their livelihood um to their quality of life people will have some motivation to want to protect it and so that's the other thing that we're really mm -hmm. trying to do through the program it's not necessarily about closing off the ocean it's about building connections and community to the ocean so that we're creating champions and lifelong stewards for these really important waters. Yep. Uh, often said, Tyler, people protect what they understand and what they love. And it's why the National Marine Sanctuary System is so important. If my research is right, uh, Chris, uh, this, of course, is these National Marine Sanctuaries are administered, as you said, by NOAA. Uh, there are 15 of them, uh, encompassing 783,000 square miles uh, uh, along the American shoreline and internationally. Uh, a really important system, as you say, to engage the public and help them understand the value of these special areas along the shoreline. Uh, what And I understand there are some new ones uh, under development right now. Are there some additions to the National Marine Sanctuary System that you are interested in supporting at the foundation? Yeah, we have a number of different sites that are in kind of various stages. Um, we have uh, Hudson Canyon, which is off the um, coast of New York that is on the nomination inventory, and we're hoping it's going to go into designation. And this is a really critical area. This is an area that is, you know, when I talk about areas that don't have um, much protection, that that Atlantic seaboard is one of these related kind of critical areas. Um, Papahanamukuakea, which is a, a marine national monument, um, is uh, one that is um, also going through the designation process right now. Uh, we have a site in Lake um, uh, Ontario uh, that is also doing it. We have um, a really exciting site. Um, it's called Heart of the Ocean, which is in St. Paul in the Aleutian Islands. Um, and they're looking, um, they've requested uh, that NOAA put them on the nomination list. Um, and what's really exciting about this, and then also another one called the Chumash National Marine Sanctuary yeah. um, along the California coast, they're both indigenously led and um, want to engage NOAA in terms of co-management of the marine resources um, for the community. So there's some really exciting um, opportunities on the horizon. Yeah, Tyler, we had the pleasure of having on the podcast uh, one of the leading uh, organizers for the Shumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary on the California coast, uh, and a very important initiative for that area uh, Violet Sage Walker. Violet Sage Walker, that's right. And her father, who was instrumental in starting the process years ago to create that National Marine Sanctuary. It's an incredibly detailed and intricate process to create one of these things, but so important for the American shoreline. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, Chris, about what the foundation's role is as a private nonprofit organization that supports this federal program of sanctuaries, marine sanctuaries? Uh, what do you guys do? And what is your objective as an organization? Be happy to. I do want to say one thing about Violet Sage Walker. I'm so glad you brought her up because um, she's an inspiration to me. And she gave me uh, a gift um, that I want to share. Um, I was talking to her one time about sustainable oceans, and she says it's not good enough to just talk about our oceans as being sustained. We have to talk about making them thrive. Um, so we talk about thrivability now, um, and it is. It's really about 
helping our oceans thrive, because if we're only talking about sustaining, we're probably talking on a continued downward baseline trend for our oceans. And so Violet gave me something that has stayed with me and it's how I view the work that the foundation has to do, which is we really need to help work with partners to actually make sure our oceans and Great Lakes are thriving um, across the board. So uh, she, she gave me what I consider a great gift in terms of my perspective on how I look at our work. I, that, um, I find that incredibly insightful, uh, Chris. I really do. It, 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 it informs uh, so much of the energy, I think, around the future outlook um, that I'm picking up from your foundation uh, about how creating new um, sanctuaries, new protected ocean spaces, is, is going to enhance the world. <laughs> this is going yeah. to make our lives better. This is not, um, this isn't, you know, trying to maintain a baseline. Anyway, that, that's very informative. And just, and just to that point, this is one thing that I think folks really need to understand. So the U.S., just because of our size, has the second largest um, exclusive economic zone in the world. Um, you know, our, our waters go from the Arctic down to the Caribbean, into the Pacific. So, how the U.S. manages its oceans, how the U.S. shows leadership on oceans is incredibly important to the whole um, world. And we always have to remember, we just have one global ocean. Um, you know, I know we like to put the, the plural on oceans, but there's one global ocean. And so we're all interconnected by it. And so we're all responsible for being stewards of it together. Um, but I think the U.S. has a very important role because of the size of the waters um, that it has uh, management responsibilities over across the board. One hundred percent. Well, Chris, you you're you're a veteran of Capitol Hill. I think uh, mm -hmm. looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've been up on Capitol Hill working in various roles in the federal government uh, and in the U.S. Senate and through agency work. You're a professional in federal policy on ocean and coastal matters. Uh, and coming up this week, Tyler, is uh, the Capitol Hill Ocean Week. And uh, that's an important event, uh, Tyler, that you've been paying attention to lately. Yeah, well, I mentioned it in the intro, but uh, my Lord, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't noticed, what be, it's almost like what it reminds me of, the vision in my mind is that like volcano emerging from the sea. <laughs> Capitol Hill Ocean Week has emerged and is growing, uh, erupting with really cool ideas. It's a it's an it's an event. I compare it to South by Southwest. I think that's actually the trajectory it's on. And now I'm, I don't want to get out of hand here. South by Southwest is is an utterly massive thing, but mm -hmm. um, in the ocean and coastal space, what is happening with Capitol Hill Ocean Week? The way all of these different people are convening. And the other thing that catches my eye is the young energy, new professionals, Knaus fellows, people who are starting their careers really are coming and resonating with Capitol Hill Ocean Week. Um, Chris, can you give us some background about this awesome event and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill Ocean Week is all about? 
Well, first of all, thank you for that incredible comparison. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, South by Southwest is an amazing event. Uh, so just just being even mentioned in the same sentence with that event um, is something that is putting a big smile on my face. So thank you for that. So very interesting start. So the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation itself um, got started in uh, 2000. And um, we're, we're a nonprofit organization but we were set up to work very closely with Office of National Marine Sanctuaries um, to support marine protected areas through both fundraising to help support projects directly and then also through advocacy work. And so um, I think, you know, the, the foundation and, and Office of National Marine Sanctuaries kind of took a look around and said, we don't, we don't have a, 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 a forum or gathering to talk about how we're going to do um, U.S. ocean conservation, in particular, looking at office um, at National Marine Sanctuaries. So, literally, um, Capitol Hill Ocean Week got started up on Capitol Hill, just a small kind of one-day gathering of of people um, to talk about uh, ocean and Great Lakes policy uh, in the U.S. And it has grown. It, it then kind of moved across the street from the from the Hart Office Building, if people know, um, mm -hmm. to the Reserved Officers Building, and it got bigger, and then it moved from the Reserve Officer Building to um, to the museum when it existed in, in in downtown, and it got bigger, and then um, about uh, six years ago, um, we moved to uh, the Ronald Reagan International Center because of the growth of this conference. And, and there's a few things that I just really love about it. I think first, the conference really tapped into what was this desire to talk about U.S. ocean and coastal policy and the direction we needed to take it. Um, second thing, and, and this is something that we just, we hold very dear at Chow, and we are so incredibly grateful to all of the sponsors um, of Capitol Hill Ocean Week. And I'm sorry, I, I, I've called it Chow a couple of times. Yeah, that's we affectionately okay. refer to it as Chow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and this, this conference is completely free to the public. Um, and it is open to the public. If, if you just have a love for our oceans and Great Lakes, you're welcome. You don't have to be a policy expert or a marine biologist or anything. If you just have a love for our oceans and Great Lakes, you are welcomed at Capitol Hill Ocean Week. And we don't ever want costs to be a barrier in terms of, of people being able to participate um, and engage. And I think the thing that, you know, you're talking about young professionals and, you know, being excited about Capitol Hill Ocean Week. And I think the thing that that's really amazing about it is it's, it's truly kind of a, a democratic conference in the sense that, and I'm sm talking small d, Everybody's there and they can participate and they can offer their ideas about how they think we can make improvements to the management, conservation, the science of our oceans and, and Great Lakes. And so I think that's it's tremendously powerful to people. And you know, you can be you can be a student and you can go and interact with a, a, a Jane Lubchenco um, or Bob Ballard or, you know, um, uh, uh, CQ, uh, Brenda Mallory is going to be there. It, it allows you to interact with people that are often very hard for you to otherwise yeah. get to meet and talk to and share your ideas. And I think they come to this conference too and feeling 
it gets it it makes them feel engaged um, as well because they get to hear new ideas, they get to share their ideas, and so I think that's been one of the really great strengths of Capitol Hill uh, Ocean Week. One of the things I, I think I'm also really proud of about what's been taking place with this conference is often people hold conferences in. Um, Washington, D.C., and the community of Washington, D.C. is often not invited um, to the meeting. And I mean, there's extraordinary resources um, in Washington, D.C., so it's a real, I think, disservice when we don't invite the community into the to the work we're doing. And so um, about uh, four years ago, um, we started working with the mayor's office every year. So every year they also um, declare the week of Capitol Hill Ocean Week as D.C. Ocean Week. Um, with the acknowledgement about the important connections DC has um, to our coasts and to our oceans and as a tie. Um, so we really try to invite uh, the community of Washington DC to join us at the meeting and then also try to do events through the different parts of, of town. And so we're at the Ronald Reagan building. We're also up at Capitol Hill, but the new addition as you were, um, we talked about earlier was just that um, the DC Wharf has really invited us in. And so they do, they started last year doing a movie screening with us every year to just get people to be thinking about their oceans and Great Lakes in a really kind of fun way. Well, raising awareness of ocean and coastal issues and the importance of the national marine sanctuaries is such a critical part of of politics and 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 making good policy and good decisions on Capitol Hill. Uh, Capitol Hill Ocean Week, of course, convened by the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation, June seventh to the ninth, as you mentioned, at the Ronald Reagan Building and International Trade Center, Tyler, 1300 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest in Washington, D.C. It's a nice address, isn't it? Uh, So you can, and what's great is you mentioned it's free, and here's the other thing that's cool for all of our listeners. You can attend this virtually. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about how folks can participate with you in Capitol Hill Ocean Week, June 7th to the 9th. I would love to. So everybody is welcome, whether they're here in the D.C. area or if they are remote. Um, If you go to www capitol hill ocean week all one word dot org um, that's our website it'll list the entire program for the week uh, and it'll also link you to a registration site where you can um, sign up to attend the conference either in person or virtually it looks like a fabulous event what are you looking forward to most in capitol hill ocean week this year Ah, oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> it's like asking what's I, your favorite child, but <laughs> I know I'm not, and, I'm, and I, I refuse to answer that. <laughs> no, I, it um, there is an amazing program lined up, and so I'll, I'll walk people a little bit through this. Um, so this year uh, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of ocean and coastal conservation. Uh, 50 years ago, uh, and and 50 plus years ago, a couple of amazing things happened. First, um, that iconic shot um, captured of uh, Earthrise over the moon. Mm-hmm. Apollo um, 8. Really spurred a huge movement. Um, we started realizing that we lived on a blue planet and just how vulnerable it was. And then, unfortunately, um, along came an oil spill um, off the coast of Santa Barbara. Um, and folks really realized it was time to take action, which led to Earth Day and led to the the importance of, of protecting our oceans and Great Lakes. So um, we kind of, we enacted a wave of legislation, including the National Marine Sanctuary Act, the Coastal Zone Management Act, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, um, 
and the Clean Water Act. And so tremendous um, amounts of really important environmental legislation passed 50 years ago. And so Chow, what we're, what we're doing this year is we're, we're celebrating the progress of the last 50 years, but I think more importantly, it's asking the question, what do we need to do in the next 50 years and beyond to make sure our oceans continue to thrive? Um, you know, there's, there's new challenges, there's more challenges facing our oceans, but the solutions are still the same and the solution are all gonna come from people. Um, and so it's really asking, what are those actions that we need to take moving forward um, in order to have thriving oceans and Great Lakes? And so our first plenary is gonna be a series of kind of TED-like talks um, from a variety of individuals we're not asking them to come up with solutions. We're just asking them to present the issue that they think we need to take action on in the next 50 years in order to have thriving oceans. And then we have a series of panels um, looking at these kind of important issues uh, as we move forward. We have a, one of the panels I'm just super excited about is called Food from the Sea. And we're looking really at local catch um, and community-based organizations and how they're thinking about sea provision that is much more locally based. So it's eating within your ecosystem, it's looking at your carbon footprint, it's engaging new groups, um, thinking differently, looking at indigenous food systems and how important they are. Um, so that is, I think, gonna be a really fascinating uh, panel. Um, we're, we're, we're going to kind of look at two different things that we really need to understand in the ocean is, as we move into the next 50 years. So about 80% of our ocean is unexplored, un unmapped, and unobserved. And so how are we going to increase understanding of our oceans in order to make sure we can measure how we have an impact and measure if we're making changes that are creating them to be more thrivable going forward in the future? And then on the other side of it, we're looking at what we're calling the underwater industrial revolution, which is so much is going to be happening in our oceans. Um, we're looking at, you know, offshore wind development um, in our oceans. Um, renewable energies require a lot of rare earth minerals. A lot of the sources of rare earth minerals going forward are going to be mined in our oceans. Um, we want to see aquaculture in our oceans. We want to have protection in our oceans. So. How are we going to increase our knowledge in order to actually make sure we're managing our oceans while going in the future because we're having so much demand placed on them? So I think that's going to be, those are two different panels that are going to be, I think, very interesting thinking about that, the future um, on those two, two sides of the equation. And then I'm very excited. We're ending um, Chow with Dr. Jane Lubchenco and um, CEQ Chair uh, Brenda Mallory. And they're going to talk to us about the path forward. Um, these are two incredible women. They're amazing speakers. They're visionaries. And so I'm just excited that we're going to end Chow with, um, with two women that I think will both inspire us, but also put us, charge us on a path forward in terms of what we actually need to do to take actions um, as well. Uh, you know, where we usually have a number of members of um, Capitol Hill uh, attend the conference. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And we're really hoping that we're going to start seeing some major legislation discussed and moved. Um, like I said, 50 years ago, we saw the problems and 
and we took strong, decisive actions. Um, it's time for us to do those same things, um, given the, the current challenges that our oceans and Great Lakes face. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. We're, we're really coming into an exciting time. And, uh, you know, Peter, you know me. I'm a vibe guy. I'm a vibe guy. <laughs> yeah, you when are. When I go to a conference, when I go to a gathering, I'm looking for a vibe. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things, Chris, that I would love to hear about, or the you know, t okay, when it when it comes to conferences, to me, you know, the the conference organizers uh, do their best and oftentimes a great job of kind of setting the table. They kind of set the furniture for the vibe. Mm -hmm. But the people who come to the conference they are really the vibe. I mean, those are the people that you're going to be hanging out with between uh, talks that you're going to be connecting with, sharing ideas with. And one of the things, uh, Chris, that I've, I, you know, I have to confess, Peter and I have not been to Capitol Hill Ocean Week all this time. No, so I wish. So we are learning right now uh, about the vibe. But could you give me a vibe check on Capitol Hill Ocean Week and talk a little bit about the different types of people. I know that there's going to be policy people, advocates, scientists, but talk to us about the different types of people that, that come to this event and uh, participate in the vibe. So there's tons of energy. And I mean, I'm excited because for two years now we've been virtual. Um, and so I think there's going to just be a, a, a lot of excitement um, to be back in person and connecting with each other. Um, the, the, the virtual platforms have given us a lot. Um, and for two years, we were virtual with Chow and, you know, trying to kind of keep that vibe alive that you were talking about, you know, that kind of building connections um, and, and the strength of those relationships. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of energy this year to be able to be back connecting and, and, and talking with people. One of the important things with the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation um, we like to think of ourselves as kind of the host of this of this event, but we want it to be have everybody to have ownership of the event. So that that vibe also has this kind of joint ownership feeling. And, and one of the things I'll say that came out of um, the the pandemic that we we're capturing this year, which I think has been been great, which is um, you know we try to help kind of plan these you know kind of main plenaries and engage people and involve people. But this year we have a lot of virtual programming that's taking place and it's taking place by partners um, that we're working with. So, you know, it's it's other people taking ownership of the of the program and really kind of increasing its value, um, you know, to the audience. One of the things we always like to say about Chow is we're just always fascinated with interesting people that can meet each other and through those meetings have discussions that take issues forward in a different way. We're not part of that necessarily as the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation, but we've used that convening power of chow to just kind of get those energetic, great idea, innovative juices flowing for people to move issues forward. And so I, I think, you know, going back to the South by Southwest, I think there's some comparisons there, right? Because it's about innovation. It's about bringing people together. It's about allowing that, um, that connection to lead to new visions, new entrepreneurship, um, and to really just kind of carry paths forward in different ways. And so I first hope, Peter and Tyler, that you'll be able to join us one of these. Um, we need to. We would bring the studio and we would podcast from the it, next year. We've got to come up. <laughs> that would be an absolute treat for us and for our listeners, more importantly. Uh, 
You mentioned the National Marine Sanctuaries Act, of course, uh, 50th anniversary in October of this year. Uh, you mentioned the Marine Mammal Protection Act and the Coastal Zone Management Act. Tyler, this is all in one year. Back uh, when the government worked, well, you know, when you know, problems would be seen and, all right. and action would be taken. But. No, no, I, I, I feel you. No, it was 1972, yeah. uh, that period of time, and Chris... You mentioned that that space photograph, man. I think that that is so important—the yeah. finiteness of the planet—and it. Mm-hmm. I really think it's taken these fifty years. Now we took action right then, but I think that our whole concept of climate, of the of of Earth sciences now, has been culturally shifted, and I think it's taken us fifty. You know, we're fi- yeah. looking at this now. Uh, kind of historical perspective, looking back at boy, man, they, they were clairvoyant at that time. Well, they they weren't thinking as big as we think now about the planet, but they were starting. It was a starting mm-hmm. point. And man, it's the other thing I love about Chow is that it's a celebration of all of the great work that's happening. Peter, we have the pleasure of talking to coastal professionals and ocean professionals from all around the American shoreline and beyond. Yeah. And these are people who are working real hard. It's their life's work to try to uh, save, improve, ma- manage yeah. coastal and ocean do resources. Do exactly, and here we in in this gathering, you have a celebration of the people. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. and the ocean. You know, it's it's combined, but the social element I find to be really important too. And I have to say, it's the the young energy um, is also I think mm-hmm. so important. The um, and that's why you know, yeah, it's fifty years back, but this year's. Yeah. Uh, uh, event is about the future. See the future. Yeah. Uh, Chris, talk a little bit about that that title. Um, how did you come up with that? Obviously, fifty years backwards, but we're looking forwards. Yeah, I mean, it, it was you, you know, it's a play on words, of course, because um, it's C S E A, and it was really, it is really about this idea that we need to focus on the future um, in many different ways. And I think when one of the things you you um, pointed out is just how important um, young um, professionals, um, young students are um, to our future. Uh, you know, I, I look, I look back. I was, I was born in 1968. Um, so, you know, it, you know, just the the care that was taken of of the environment when I was um, a young child, and how much. Um, that really changed the trajectory of, of how I know about the environment. And I think, unfortunately, you know, we ha- we're having a very hard time um, on Capitol Hill making bipartisan progress on, mm-hmm. on really critical issues that, that we need to be, to be making progress on. And, you know, climate change is, is, is a key one. Um, climate change is, is the biggest impact happening on our oceans, um, you know, cumulatively then also water, water quality issues are. And, and we've got to figure out ways to address that. And I, I think, um, unfortunately, maybe my generation has gotten a little stagnant in terms of trying to figure out how to do it, but that's not where younger professionals are. They are really seeing the need. They are seeing the impact um, on their communities and um, what their future looks like. And, you know, I really think, I'm just so impressed by a number of people and, um, where they want to take things. And so this really was about looking to the future and also acknowledging the importance of the future. You're going you're gonna to hear a number of 
um, kind of younger professionals at Chow speak. Um, and that's why I, I really like the food from the C panel in many ways. It's a, it's a number of, um, of innovative folks that are, are really doing a lot to change about how we're looking at some of these issues. And I, I think that change in perspective is so critical. And I think it's coming um, with younger generations. And, you know, my hope is that, um, that the, 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 the people in my generation who um, came with uh, Moonrise taking place and who um, had some amazing people pass legislation that will start taking, you know, concrete actions to, to try to address some of these really pressing issues mm-hmm. that face our oceans and Great Lakes. And, you know, we need to. And I, I think it's, you know, you mentioned uh, the the uh, the Santa Barbara oil spill being a driving force for uh, some of the federal legislation on Ocean and Coastal Coastal Zone Management Act, National Marine Fishing Act, and others. Uh, we all remember the Cuyahoga River in Ohio mm-hmm. catching fire, which was one of the driving forces for the Clean Water Act. But if you look at those driving forces back then, they were incidences and geographically specific things that were horrible and horrifying and sufficient to drive the political process to true action. The creation of the EPA, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the, the, the legislative uh, uh, portfolio that was done in the early 70s on environmental uh, issues is truly, truly remarkable and impressive in retrospect. And here we face, Chris, the ultimate challenge, which is a global phenomenon of climate change, so much more difficult to get your head around than the Santa Barbara oil spill or a polluted river or these incidents. Now we're talking about the health of the planet. And I'm just curious, for someone who's been on Capitol Hill, worked in policy, uh, been a supporter of the National Marine Sanctuaries for so many years— what is it about this particular challenge that has kind of paralyzed us so far? Um, it's different, don't you think? I, it, it is. I mean, I think sometimes we've gotten a little bit hard thinking outside of our boundaries. I mean, I think you're, you're right. When you have a very specific incident that impacts people, um, it, it, it drives action. Um, I think maybe sometimes we need to break it down into pieces that folks understand, right? Um mm-hmm. Folks um, understand that they want clean, reliable energy um, at an f- affordable price, right? And yeah. that's energy efficiency, that's microgrids, um, that's looking at renewable energy, right? If you break it down to those things, hmm. you're doing things that people care about, that impact their quality of life, that impact their, their pocketbook, but you're also having a pretty strong impact in terms of um, of carbon reduction too, right? right? And you know, people understand I want clean air, um, and they'll take action around things that'll help do clean air. Um, folks want clean water; they'll take action around clean water. So I sometimes think um, at the policy level, we um, have a responsibility to break it down into those type of pieces. Tangible, um, understandable bits that people can connect with. Yep, exactly. Uh, When you're looking ahead uh, and the work on Capitol Hill, uh, is there a a legislative agenda that you and your partners and collaborative uh, organizations and entities hope to pursue uh, when it comes to marine and ocean coastal issues? Uh, what's at the top of your agenda for legislative action? 
So for for our organization right now, um, we want to see the reauthorization of the National Marine uh, Sanctuary Act. Um, the act hasn't been reauthorized since uh, 2000. Um, and so there's a lot of outdated provisions um, that we want to see addressed. Um, and I'll, I'll just mention a couple of them. Um, you know, going back to this act, uh, issue around equity and access, I think updating the act so that we can look at marine sanctuaries um, near to communities um, that have treasured places that 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 they want to have protect. But right now, NOAA might say they can't do under this particular act. So allowing for for more flexibility um, in terms of uh, where new national marine sanctuaries can um, take place, I think would be helpful. Also allowing for different levels of protection. So if I, if I draw that comparison back to the National Park Service, you know, Park Service has national parks, they have historic areas, they have recreational areas, they have all sorts of different tools under them in terms of how to look at protection based on um, uh, the conservation needs and, and what, what the communities wants. The sanctuaries doesn't have that same different kind of layers and, and flexibility in the instruments that they have. And I think that would actually be very helpful to the program. Um, one of the things I mentioned, you know, is, is, as we all work on addressing climate change, um, we have to figure out ways to reduce other stressors in the system um, that can, you know, help communities, help ecosystems. And, um, Pollution is a big issue, and I'm talking much more than plastic pollution. I'm talking, you know, um, runoff, um, uh, you know, from both uh, septic tanks and from agricultural. And I think we need to take a real strong look at this act and, and figure out how NOAA and EPA and USDA can even do a much better job working together to improve our overall water quality. Um, you know, going back into baiting, biting things into small pieces. Um, improving water quality going into our ocean. Um, we reduce the risk of HABs. Um, we make our coast um, safer uh, for communities that have impact on um, fisheries. It has impact on, uh, you know, recreation and who can use the water. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of other things that we can kind of do to take action. And I, you know, if, if Congress is unable to act, I'm, I'm truly hoping that the administration um, we'll look at what they can do within their own um, existing authorities in mm -hmm. order to make these differences. Well, I would love to see it. And, and I am hopeful that we can find it. It, it does seem, you know, uh, that there are there's bipartisan interest in uh, the future of the ocean, uh, if not for environmental protection and climate change reasons, which might be the there justifications are. for for one uh, side of the aisle, the other side of the aisle sees uh, a future of of industrial uh, opportunity, mm -hmm. and perhaps uh, we yeah. can come together there and find common ground. I'm, I remain hopeful. I have to say, one of the reasons why, I, as we were talking about this dynamic of fifty years back and then looking forward, yeah. uh, the population, Peter, of the world in 1972. Any any guess? <laughs> I'm going to say about 3.2 billion. That's uh, that's a fantastic guess, Chris. Do you have a do you have a guess, or maybe I you do know? Not. I'm not even going to venture on this one. <laughs> it's it's fine. I've got the answer here. So, in 1972, the global population was 3.8 billion. Pretty close. Very close. I have to say, you were in the you were in the right billion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and today we're at eight. 
at about eight billion. Just yeah. about at eight. Yeah. So uh, the, it, just look at that. Think yeah. about that. I yeah. mean, we Double. really need to be and and this was revolutionary fifty years ago. I'm talking about the these these laws. Yeah. Uh, this cluster of legislation. We need to be thinking about the same thing we now, do. particularly given what we see with with just human impact. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what we're learning increasingly about climate change. It's just not. It's not strictly. CO2, you know, there's a, there's a complex oh discussion yeah. of human impact here on a global scale yeah. that we are confronting in the next, we will be confronting in the next 50 years. We're, conf- we're beginning to confront it psychologically, I would say. We've been confronting it our lives yeah. in physics, but psychologically, as a society, we're Maybe starting we're now. Catching on. Yeah. And uh, man, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm, this like gets me fired up. I think I that this is, I think that this is, Super interesting. It's it's clearly a, a a place of opportunity, and I look at my peers, and we all kind of feel the same way. I mean, there is absolute uh, worry and concern that we're not going to get our shit together too. But uh, right. I I think we will. I really do. I think humanity uh, has been through these optimistic. things too. I mean, check this out. October nineteen seventy two, the Clean Water Act gets passed over the veto of President Nixon, who vetoed the Clean Water Act, and then Congress overrode that veto. This is in October. The Marine Mammal Protection Research and Sanctuaries Act that creates the National Marine Sanctuaries Program was also passed in October of 1972, along with the Ocean Dumping Act and the Coastal Zone Management Act. That was October, one month of 1972. And the Marine Mammal Protection Act comes in December. I mean, this is when our government was responsive to true challenges and problems. Uh, and I think, Tyler, you're right. And I'm, uh, Chris, I'd be interested in your perspective. There is an emerging bipartisan uh, interest in climate change. Uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, one of our good friends on this podcast, loved this guy, one of the leading voices on climate change, along with Republicans as well, uh, Congressman Graves from Louisiana and others, uh, and I'm reminded of EarthX, Tyler, and uh, the event there, which is a conservative, basically, environmental conference in Dallas with Trammell Crow Jr., which is an incredible conference. That gives me some hope that there is the institutional and political energy uh, emerging that could take on these challenges. Chris, what do you think? Are you optimistic about our capacity to govern on these kinds of complex international issues? Uh, I, I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. Um, <laughs> I noticed that hesitation. I'm kind of sharing that hesitation. I'm like, I, mean, I don't know. We, we, it's imperative. I mean, it is imperative. First of all, uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is incredible. Um, yeah. and we're so fortunate that, um, Congressman Huffman and Congressman Graves are mm-hmm. the two co-chairs of the National Marine Sanctuary, um, caucus in the house, uh, so I think when we have uh, individuals like that taking leadership and and, you know, what's key is, is they're, they're they are reaching across the aisle um, to try to find uh, solutions. Um, so, you know, I think I, I think that that's where it all it, it all builds from. Um, and and so I, I do remain hopeful. Um, I think we're you know, I, I think we're coming to the point where um you know, when we have forest fires like we've had, um, you know, I, I think people are starting to recognize that those are those incidents that people understand that, I right. think, you know, actions kind of come from uh, as well. So I'm hopeful. I, I hope I, you know, it, it I go back and forth on it. Uh, 
uh, Catherine Hayhoe, who wrote a great book about climate change, the climatologist from Texas Tech University, has been kind of all over the news for this year talking about her her perspective of the necessity of hopefulness and a positive attitude toward our capacity to tackle climate change. Uh, I can find myself in that space, and then there are days I'm absolutely discouraged and don't see the institutional fortitude necessary to tackle a problem of this complexity and immensity. But, Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, yeah. take it easy. <laughs> I'm all good for that. I'm all, that's why I like the up-and-coming young, younger generation. They've, they're, not, they're not afraid of it. Yeah, I think that's where I think where my hope really lies on a lot of this stuff is um, it's a community. It's at the community level. It's at a local and state level where I do actually I feel a lot of optimism and a lot of hope um, that change is going to happen. And I think you're right. Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think sometimes our communities and our states are are those um, they're the opportunity sites. They're the they're the sites that, you know, try to innovate and you know, often at the national level, we kind of follow along after the states have, have um, led us. And I, I think to that extent, that's where my hope really lies is, is what can take place at that state and local level. And then what can that do to motivate federal action? Right on. Well, I love it. And that's where I'm telling you, mm-hmm. events like Chow yep. really matter. And I'm just going to say something else. And, and Chris, I know, I, I am jealous. I am so jealous that I'm not going to be there. I, I'm jealous of the people who can be there. I'm, I really feel like uh, this year's event, for all the reasons, Chris, that you explained, having you know, come back to in-person, I think the energy is going to be incredible. Um, and it's that interstitial space between actual you know, programmed events. The programmed events set the table. They inspire, they take your mind to places. But it's the opportunities in between uh, having dinner with people that you've never met before and sharing stories. And these are the, you know, these are, everyone comes with their own grassroots uh, Mm -hmm. touch. And coming together, that's how we connect those dots and ultimately get to the place of maybe being able to pass some legislation. First, we got to talk with each other. That's true. And as we know, in the coastal and ocean community, we are siloed. We tend to be very siloed. So what's so cool about Capitol Hill Ocean Week is it puts a new frame on our silos, and it really is bringing in a bunch of people. And I've got to say, ladies and gentlemen, if you are not familiar with Capitol Capitol Hill Ocean Week, ciao, check it out. Consider being a virtual attendee this year. Yeah, for sure. And consider, I'm I'm looking at like Army, I want to see some more like Army Corps of Engineers people there. Right. Go and check out and, and learn from these other people. Ex- express what what you but sh- contribute to this group. Yeah. I would also love to see some tourism uh, people there. Yeah. I think that's uh, there's a lot of sustainable tourism energy that I think could really uh, enrich the space. And that's where where the future I think is going is having this kind of common this common ground where we can gather in D.C. is the perfect place for it. Sure. The federal government has such an important role to play. Yeah. As we know, with the National Marine Sanctuary, so. Uh, man, I just think it's a great event. Uh, Chris, remind us one more time how people can find out about Capitol Hill Ocean Week. They can go to www.capitolhilloceanweek.org or just type in Capitol Hill Ocean Week into your browser. Um, and it'll list all of the programs and uh, registration site. Well, we hope I, we wish you a great week up on Capitol Hill with Capitol Hill Ocean Week and in your work with the National Marine Sanctuaries Foundation. Uh, such an important job, uh, Chris. We can't thank you enough for 
coming on the American Shoreline podcast and sharing your perspective with our listeners. Uh, and next year, Tyler, we got to go. We got to get we there. We got to go. We got to go to Capital Ocean Week. We're looking forward to welcoming you <laughs> next year in person. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Chris Seary. She is the president and CEO of the National Marine Sanctuaries Foundation from Silver Spring, Maryland. Thank you very much for joining us today on the American Shoreline Podcast, Chris. Thank you. And a cool. Beaches and sand, two hotels, my father.